Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician and multiple Ironman finisher coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. Along with being an avid triathlete, I'm also a baseball fan and have been closely following the recent events in the news surrounding the sign-stealing scandal. Now, for those of you who don't follow baseball, the past two World Series champions, the Houston Astros and the Boston Red Sox, have both been caught up in a scandal wherein players on both teams, with the knowledge and consent of management, use team resources in the form of advanced technology like high-resolution cameras and slow-motion replay equipment to decode catcher signals in real time. This information was then relayed to batters at the plate, giving the hitters a very real advantage in a game where the difference between success and failure is often determined in thousandths of a second. Now before I go on in full disclosure, the Red Sox are my favorite team, and I do not intend for this to be in any way, shape, or form a defense, nor a diminishment of what has occurred here. With that being said, sign-stealing in baseball has gone on in some form or another pretty much for as long as the game has been played and it's really not that unusual for teams to do pretty much anything to try and gain an advantage over their rivals. Still, no one denies that the Astros and Red Sox were really wrong here in taking things to the extent that they did, but many others are remarking that they are far from the only culprits, and are in fact just happen to be the two biggest fish who happen to get caught. And in getting caught, the punishments have been severe. These two teams have had to fire their managers, both of whom are respected, well-liked men who may have trouble finding employment in the game ever again. And the damage to the game itself is likely greater still, because if fans distrust the integrity of a sport, then their fealty to that sport is going to be cast in doubt. Now, if you're wondering why I'm talking baseball on a triathlon-focused podcast, well, it's because of that last bit right there. I don't think that I'm alone in believing that triathlon has a serious cheating problem if not so much at the pro level, where there's at least a pretty good degree of checking on athletes on an ongoing basis, then definitely within the age group ranks, where I have no doubt that doping in some form or another is much more extensive than the USAT or WTC would like us to believe. Over the past year or so, amateur cycling has tried to adjust the perception of age group doping in their sport by significantly increasing the testing of athletes at events, and the results, while a little bit discouraging, have at least probably gone a bit of a ways to help cleaning up that sport. The number of athletes testing positive for all manner of substances in cycling is less shocking to me than it is just an indictment of where sports in general have gone. What motivates an age grouper with very little to actually gain in material benefits to cheat and potentially put their health and reputations at risk is probably different for each individual, and then again, likely pretty much complicated. But whatever the reasons, and I'm sure there's more than 17 of them, the results are the same. Our sport suffers, because the fans, in this case the very athletes who are participating, are losing faith in the integrity of the sport. When I see some of the times being put up by age group athletes who ostensibly work at full-time jobs and have families, I have to shake my head. No doubt many are legitimate, but I don't have any problem saying that I'm sure many of them are also tainted. And the fact that I even have to question any result in triathlon shows how far down the rabbit hole things have gone. Triathletes have repeatedly said that they would pay a small supplement on their race fees to ensure age group athlete testing, but the administration of such a program would be complicated and expensive, so it's difficult to see how it could be done in a way that would be fair to athletes and still be robust. At the end of the day, the WTC and USAT are entities that count on participant participation, 
And if participants continue to feel that their efforts are being undermined by others who are taking shortcuts, then that participation is going to be under threat. I can only hope that, like baseball, triathlon will have its own reckoning and come to some sort of path forward in an effort to clean things up and restore faith in the idea that most, if not all, age groupers are racing clean. On the show today, I continue my exploration of the issues and controversies raised by the Netflix documentary The Game Changers. So far in this series, I've had interviews that have covered paleoanthropology of human diet, the views of a nutritionist, and that of a vegan athlete. But today, we hear an altogether different perspective, and one that was missing in the documentary. Casey Poe Campbell is a Denver-based nutritional consultant who has her own podcast, and believes very strongly that animal-based products really have to be part of an athlete's diet. She explains her position and gives her thoughts on the film. Reels for Wheels has two new suggestions for you for movies to watch on the trainer, and this time both are fairly recent releases, one of which is a rollicking romp of getaway driving set to an equally driving score, while the other details one of the more amazing retreats in modern warfare. However, before all of that, I have a medical question to answer. The Halo Sport looks like some high-tech wireless headphones suitable for wearing while watching one of the movies recommended on Reels for Wheels, but in fact, they're really so much more. In fact, these headphones are to be worn in advance of a workout as a means of preparing your brain to be able to maximize your effort. With a price tag of just about $400, they aren't cheap, and so the question naturally becomes, are they worth it? Well, I look at the science behind how the halo works and whether or not the evidence supports the claims that its manufacturers make, and all of that is coming up right now. Over the past couple of years, I've become aware of a new device promising to help athletes improve their training called the Halo. Unlike so many of the other devices out there that are marketed to improve training, the Halo isn't something you use while you train, nor is it something you wear or affix to your bike or shoes. Nope, the Halo is quite unique in that it is a device that is meant to prepare you for training, and in fact, it doesn't really promise to do anything more than that. But according to the Halo's makers, Wearing the halo for 20 to 30 minutes before regular training can have some pretty profound results. So what is this device? How does it work? And is there evidence to support the claims being made? Before I talk about the halo itself, I need to explain a little bit about the theoretical brain science that this device leverages in order to work. When we exercise, we may think that we are simply moving our arms and legs against increasing resistance over ever-increasing amounts of time in order to build better strength and endurance. At the same time, we are demanding more of our heart and lungs, and improving our cardiovascular strength and endurance as well. At a basic level, this is fundamentally true. But there's another level to training that we likely don't think about, and many scientists and physiologists believe that this second level is just as important. The second level that I'm referring to is what happens within our central nervous system and is really subconscious to what we appreciate when we're training. When we train, our brain is kind of overseeing the whole process. It is responsible for sending the signals to make our muscles move, and it monitors things at a subconscious level for signs of fatigue and pain, and is making new connections between neurons as we learn and imprint the new activity that we are doing. To make a whole lot of science really basic, our brains control our activity and monitor for, for fatigue and learn our new level of fitness as we progress along with our training. Now, learning new skills and the adaptation within the brain that happens over time is called neuroplasticity. 
And neuroplasticity can be influenced by the transmission of very low levels of electric current through the brain before a task, making the brain more receptive to forming new connections and thereby improving learning. And researchers have tested this for many years now. By applying small doses of electric current to the brains of lab animals prior to having them run through a maze or solve a puzzle, these animals are seen to complete the task significantly faster. Eventually, this technique was then tried on humans, and amazingly, the results were pretty similar. By passing low levels of electric current through the right part of the brain, humans can be seen to learn complex tasks more quickly and with better retention than if they don't get pretreated in that way. Now, this has been done on volunteers given a repetitive motor task to complete, piano players learning a new piece, and even uh, medical residents learning complex neurosurgical techniques. Time and time again, studies have shown that transcranial cortex stimulation with electricity is safe and effective in improving the ability of people to learn and retain what they have learned. Now, you'll recall that earlier, I said that the brain has roles both in controlling activity, but also for monitoring for fatigue and pain during exercise. Well, it turns out that the level of exertion of control and monitoring can both be disrupted with transcranial direct current stimulation, and this is what the HALO device attempts to do. According to its makers, wearing the device for 20 to 30 minutes before training enhances the ability of the motor cortex of the brain to signal our muscles to contract and also interferes with that part of the brain that monitors for fatigue. The results, according to them, are that athletes are able to train harder and for longer, and to better be able to consolidate those gains, leading to improved performance over time. To their credit, HALO lists a lot of scientific studies on their websites, and so far as I could tell, although several of them tested the HALO device, none of them were actually funded by nor authored by the scientists who have a stake in the company. From the results of those studies, HALO takes some of the findings and restates them in the form of the typical bold claims of expected improvement gains that I have come to expect in the marketing for these kinds of devices. For example, HALO claims that you could see a 17% improvement in cycling sprinting strength and improve running endurance of 15% simply by wearing the headphones. Now, these are pretty startling levels of improvement, but if you're like me, you may be skeptical. So let's take a look at some of those studies in more detail and see if those claims are valid. Let's begin with the cycling sprint power study. This study evaluated the ability of nine male cyclists to perform five six-second sprints to their maximum power ability with 24 seconds of recovery after receiving treatment with the Halo device or with a control. The results of the study are a little bit hard to interpret because while they're reported as statistically significant, because of the very small numbers studied in the paper, the confidence intervals of the results, that is to say, the likelihood that the true results fall within a specific range from the reported results tend to overlap. And usually when confidence intervals overlap, the results are not actually statistically different from each other. Despite that fact, the results of this study are reported as statistically significant, making it a little bit confusing to understand. At any rate, in this study, cyclist peak power did not differ depending on whether or not they received pretreatment with the halo or not, but their average power seems to be different, with those being treated with the halo showing a higher power. The 17% number actually only comes from one of the five intervals, specifically the last one. All of the other intervals were much closer together. So, while it isn't wrong for HALO to claim that cyclists can see a 17% improvement in sprint performance, it's kind of an exaggeration, and it's not really the whole story. 
Furthermore, based on such a tiny study, it isn't clear to me that this difference would remain if more cyclists were studied in a larger trial. What about the running endurance? Well, here again, the paper's kind of problematic. In this South Korean study, 12 runners were tested in a pretty well-designed study. First, all of the runners' VO2 max was determined using a ramp test and with full gas analysis and cardiorespiratory monitoring. And this is very different from some of the studies we saw in devices I've reviewed in previous podcasts. Then, after this was done, runners were assigned to either control or transcranial direct current stimulation with the HALO device and run on a treadmill at 80% of their VO2 max speed until exhaustion. Finally, runners returned after a suitable period of rest and recovery of several days to repeat the test, but this time in the different group. So if the first time they got the control, the second time they got the halo, or vice versa. So far, so good. The results of the study were similar to what was reported in the cycling trial. Those runners who used the halo device did indeed see a longer time to exhaustion, about 22 minutes versus 19. And this translates to the 15% that's reported on the website. But again, even these results were reported as statistically significant when the confidence intervals of those results clearly overlap, suggesting that, in fact, they're not statistically significant. So I'm not really sure what to make of that. Furthermore, one might ask the question, if running all out at this pace for this duration is really a reflection of improved endurance, or rather simply the ability to tolerate discomfort? Now again, Halo has a lot of scientific references on their site, and I read most of them. Many of them are really interesting, and I do believe that this technology likely has some real use and benefit for things like learning complicated tasks and skills. But with respect to the Halo and training, specifically for long endurance events, I'm left with more questions than answers. All of the papers that have been done looking at this tech and physical activity are really, really small, making it very hard to know if the results are actually accurate. Furthermore, none of the studies really look at the things that triathletes are interested in, that is to say, longer duration exercise at lower intensity. What about using the halo over time? Is there any deterioration of its effects if it's used for, you know, months? And how long does the effect of a 20-minute session last? Is it going to get you through your three-hour bike session, or is it really only useful for the 20-minute high-endurance type session? Most importantly, transcranial direct current stimulation used by the HALO appears to be safe, even if it's used over a long period of time. But does using the HALO to enhance the brain's ability to make muscles contract harder and decrease the brain's ability to sense fatigue put the athlete at more risk for sustaining injury? I saw no studies looking at this question, though you could envision how this might be so. And I want to be clear that based on what I read, I think that the halo probably does have some beneficial, for a- beneficial effects for athletes, but I'm not entirely sure that I know what they are or if they're really applicable to long-distance triathlon. Now, Tim O'Donnell and USA Cycling have both signed on to use the halo, but that doesn't necessarily mean the device works, only that they believe it does. At $400, the halo isn't inexpensive, but given that you're getting what are advertised as high-quality exercise-ready headphones as part of the deal, that makes the price more palatable. I can't comment on the quality of the sound, as I've never laid eyes on a pair of these, let alone ears or scalp, but if you're in the market for some pricey headphones anyways, maybe the halo is worth a look as an option because you never know. It just might stimulate you to learn something and maybe even train better. Do you have a question for me to consider answering on the show? Well, send it to me at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. 
For my regular interview segment of the podcast, I'm going to continue with my series, taking a deeper dive into some of the questions raised by the Netflix documentary, The Game Changers. If you haven't seen the film or heard the first interviews in this series, I'd urge you to do so, though it isn't necessary before listening to this one, as each of them can stand on their own. Casey Poe Campbell is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner who has earned the nickname Poop Whisperer by her clients. She is a retired triathlete turned ultra runner with her sights set on doing her first tandem swim run next year. Casey uses a real food approach to improve her clients' gut health along with their run splits. You can find her in Denver either trail running, skiing, or rock climbing, and on one of her podcasts, Project Nourish or Get Into Nature. Welcome to the podcast, Casey. Thank you so much for having me on. I was so excited when you uh, sent me the email that you were going to be interviewing so many experts on uh, about this documentary because it raised a lot of questions. Yes, it did. <laughs> now, I think before we even get to that, we have to first dissect the whole poop whisperer thing because I know I'd be remiss. I'm sure my listeners would love to know. So give us a little insight as to what that's about. Yeah, so when I was, oh gosh, this was probably 2014, I worked with a uh, register, registered dietitian because I was experiencing some gut issues and training for 70.3 and just, you know, not feeling great. I was super grumpy and like not being able to keep up with my normal group. And my fat pants started to fit, which royally ticked me off. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I reached out to a registered dietitian and I was ready to start counting calories, measuring my food, you know, just go really hardcore with it. And the first question she asked me, she's like, tell me about your poop. I was like, oh, no, no, I am a lady. I don't do that. Yeah. And uh, so fast forward and we realized that I was just having some leaky gut syndrome and we just really worked on repairing my gut and it definitely helped improve just all around quality of life. And I was able to keep up with my group again and just all around great. So that was how I got into nutrition and just realizing how important your poop is when you, I mean, it's just an instant feedback into what is going on in your health. And you should be looking at it every single day and thinking, oh, okay, am I having rabbit poops? Does it look like a dog tail? Can I tell if I'm poop or pooping or peeing? All of these different things are going to show what is going on with your health and it's instant feedback. And so many people are afraid to talk about it. And my personality, I'm quite blunt, so I just have no issues with this. And so I was giving a talk at a triathlon camp, and I had a shirt made because somebody had nicknamed me the Poop Whisperer. And so I have a shirt with the poop emoji, and nice. it says Poop Whisperer. Nice. And so, yeah, most conversations, if you're working with me as a nutrition client, we're going to talk about your poop. All right. We're going to get real personal. Well, let's uh, get away from that for just a little bit, <laughs> uh, because I think uh, that will uh, be enough poop for now for most listeners. Um, so <laughs> yeah, tell me. Sorry, what, uh, tell me now that you've seen the film, what in your mind did Game Changers get right and what does it get wrong about plant-based and animal-based uh, product uh, nutrition? I'd first like to start off with, you know, my belief is that we need to eat both plant and animals. So we are meant to be omnivores. And this is, you know, in my experience and my opinion, I was a vegetarian for four years after walking through a meat market in Guatemala and just kind of totally grossed out by mm -hmm. the whole thing. But I still did eat eggs during that time. But, you know, it's like we are all bio-individual creatures and we all have specific needs. So what works for me may not work for you and vice versa. So we are all bio-individual and no quote-unquote like diet is going to fit everyone. 
Yeah, and I think that was sort of one of my main, or not takeaways, but one of my main concerns about the movie was how, you know, dogmatic it was and Mm -hmm. how black and white it portrayed everything, sort of what you're getting at. Mm -hmm. So I would say my biggest frustrations can kind of be summed up under two umbrellas. First one being James Cameron made this movie, so it is very well made, making it very believable. I mean, you know, the graphics, the star power, the amazing athletes he brought onto this documentary, like movie, more likely, it's it makes it that much more believable. And so in my experience, people are so confused with what to do with their nutrition in terms of you see an article one day, red meat is going to kill you. Then the next day, it's the best thing ever. Worship butter. Don't even look at it. It's going to mm-hmm. stop your heart. I mean, there is just so much conflicting information that people, they want to know. They want something to believe in. And I really feel like the makers of the movie, they fed, they preyed on that, I guess, vulnerability of people. On the flip side of that, as consumers, we have the responsibility to ask questions and be skeptical of a documentary that comes out like this and is so heavily one-sided. And, you know, I feel like if somebody just makes a dietary change based on this Netflix documentary or like What the Health or Cowspiracy, no matter what diet was presented, they're going to follow it just because they're going to blindly follow whatever diet is presented. I mean, this could have been the carnivore diet and they're going to go like, oh, okay, carnivore diet is the best thing ever. And so I feel like the other thing that's very frustrating is people will blindly follow because something, a good story was told and there were some pretty graphics. Yeah, to and go that, with it. And that was a big thing about this film. And I, you know, in my conversations with people, I keep bringing that up: is that this was for entertainment. Yeah. Uh, the problem was is it's being presented as science and the truth, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the, they cherry picked a lot, and mm-hmm. they uh, definitely did a lot of, like you said, pretty graphics that were really out of context and not necessarily all that helpful if you wanted to know fact-based, uh, what was going on as opposed to pretty pictures. So, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I want to go back to uh, something you said just a little bit earlier because you said something about how we are meant to eat both meat and plant-based. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, that's there's a lot of people who would argue that that might not be so. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, we as a species have maybe gotten to a point now where eating meat might be a choice we can't afford for mm-hmm. both the health of the planet as well as, uh, you know, never mind the health reasons for individuals, but maybe mm-hmm. just for environmental reasons. Uh, and there are those who would say for moral reasons that we have mm-hmm. uh, ethical you know, responsibility to not eat animals. Uh, what do you say to that? I say, you know, it's everybody, it's up to them what they're going to do. If they have an ethical reason that, you know, friends or, you know, animals are friends and they don't want to eat meat, then that is 100% up to them. And, you know, I'm so interested to listen to your podcast with the anthropologist to see, you know, to talk about some of the things that were presented in the show about like our teeth and everything. But 
I think of part of my training with the Nutritional Therapy Association was we looked at the history or the work of uh, Dr. Weston A. Price. Have you ever heard of him? No. Uh, he was a dentist and he traveled the world in like the 19, late 1920s, early 1930s. And so he was looking at indigenous populations all over the world. So like the Eskimos, uh, Inuit, uh, the Aboriginals, and he was looking at their traditional diets versus what he called the diets of commerce. So kind of like the sad American mm. diet. And so he was looking at their dental structure. So the way that their teeth formed, the width of their jaws. And he shows all of these pictures in his book of the traditional, like the diet that they were meant to eat or not meant to eat, but like their traditional diet that they'd been eating for quite a long time versus the diet with like processed sugar and all of these processed foods. And the the differences are, it's stark difference between, you know, like people that need braces and all of these things to expand their jaws. I had to have all of this. And, you know, the rubber bands to, you know, move their, your jaws. And I mean, the people who were just eating the traditional diets, they had beautiful teeth that were not rotting. They were perfectly straight, totally white. And so one of his things that he wanted to do was he wanted to find a culture that was vegan. And that was healthy and thriving. And he, one of his biggest disappointments of his research is that he was never able to find that. Now, given the way we have a the ability to understand nutrition and under and be able to augment nutrition, I think we probably could find that if you know new, vegans are clearly very healthy right now, and uh, you know you would be able to find that. There have been agrarian societies in the past that have not eaten meat. Uh, Dr. Unger does speak to that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah, I mean that's interesting that. Uh, People have always, wherever they've gone, have eaten what is from the buffet in front of them, as mm-hmm. Dr. Unger said in our, our conversation. So yes, I think you'll uh, you'll appreciate that very much. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, getting back to Game Changers. Yes. Um, so they bring up uh, this notion that a single meal of meat can very dramatically influence performance. And that kind of runs counter to most people's experience. Uh, I'm curious how you as a nutritionist make sense of the evidence that was presented in the documentary. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Which specific, were you talking about like the blood serum, like the cloudy versus, okay, so that one and then also like the erection one. Like both of those were just like made up studies for the film. Like they're not peer reviewed. I mean, it was, you know, it was just kind of like fun for the movie. And, you know, it's, I asked myself the question, okay, does it really matter? Like, is the cloudy bad? And is the clear actually good? You know, like, that's just the way that they portray it in the movie. But, like, we don't, don't you know, know. we don't know. And it wasn't, it's not peer reviewed. I mean, it was just really for antics and fun. Yeah, and yeah. I think there was a lot of that in the film. Uh, again, yeah. because the film's there to entertain, and the film was there to make its point. And I think mm-hmm. those two illustrations, you know, went a long way to doing that. But whether you, or not they were fair, yeah. If you don't ask questions, if yeah. you just look at it on the surface, it seems pretty convincing because you just kind of assume, oh, okay, this cloudy plasma is bad. It was plasma, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was. You know, you assume that that's bad, but what if the clear? Yeah was actually bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what evidence do you feel that, you know, you would have liked to have seen them include that they didn't? 
maybe a countering opinion. Yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. <laughs> you know, maybe somebody with a whey protein company. No, I'm yeah, kidding. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, maybe having something in there where, okay, this person was vegan for a certain amount of time and it didn't work for them mm-hmm. and have them explain, okay, here's maybe what I did wrong. And why it didn't necessarily work for me. So people know that, okay, this may not be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Maybe I do need to take if everything that's being presented with a grain of salt. And do you think personally that there's anything wrong with increasing plant-based part of your diet? No, not at all. Right. I mean, honestly, we don't eat enough vegetables yeah. as a society. When I start working with clients, it's amazing how few vegetables they are actually eating because what I have them do, instead of writing down everything they eat, I have them take pictures of everything because food journals and those observational type studies, a lot of them which are presented in the movie, they're incredibly inaccurate. So, I mean, it's like, what did you have for dinner on the night of October 22nd? Yeah. You're like, I have no idea. Right. You know, but they're expecting you to remember, remember that. And so I feel, you know, I always encourage my clients, at least 50% of your plate when you're looking at it should be vegetables. So in essence, every single meal should be plant-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you must have clients who come to you who are considering moving to plant-based diets. So mm-hmm. what kind of advice do you give them? I usually dig into a little bit more of what their reasoning is for wanting to move in that direction. If it's something like, oh, hey, I watched What the Health or I watched Game Changers and I want to go into this, then I will dispel mm-hmm. many of the points that were made in the movie. But if it's, you know, for ethical reasons, uh, I'll, you know, ask them what they would be potentially comfortable with. Are you, you know, like, are you comfortable eating eggs, fish every once in a while, some type of animal protein? And we would, you know, go from there. And then, you know, if they're like, no, I'm not going to, I honestly, I probably wouldn't work with them. Which you, is you wouldn't work with them if they had no animal protein. Mm-hmm. If they were like, nope, I'm going vegan and I want your help because it's not something that I can personally get behind, and I don't feel like I would give them. So let's explore that a little bit. So why? Because uh, wh- we've had a, I've had a couple people on the program who uh, are doing quite well with vegan, but I'm just curious uh, from your perspective, what mm-hmm. is the um, what's the problem with, or maybe not problems, but what are the limitations of a vegan diet? So what I have seen is, and I've heard, I just recently heard this term vegan honeymoon, where people go from eating a standard American diet. So they're eating McDonald's, KFC, they haven't had a vegetable in like two years. And all of a sudden they switch over to this plant-based diet where they're eating whole nutrient dense foods. And they feel amazing because they're not eating these foods that are highly inflammatory that are going to, you know, just make them not feel great. So of course, during that time, they're like, oh yeah, I feel great. I can, you know, run faster, jump higher, all of these great things. But it takes a while for some of these nutritional deficiencies to start showing up. So one that is mentioned is B12. And just the, you know, like that you do have to supplement for B12. And it just, it takes a while for some of these to show, for some of these nutritional deficiencies. Are there any other ones that, uh, because I know like women have expressed to me concerns. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the nutritional deficiencies or 
um, things that women would need, especially women athletes, that mm-hmm. they would need to modify their diets if they're not consuming animal products? Uh, you know, another one is iron. And so some other, let's see, I have some notes here on other sources of iron that potentially would not be from meat. So you can cook with a cast iron skillet mm-hmm. is another potential way. You can always supplement. But, you know, bottom line is supplementation is not going to be as great as getting it from a real food mm-hmm. type source. And let's see, also, you know, some seafood is a great source of the heme iron and it's great, it's easily for the uh, body to absorb. And then also consuming that with vitamin C is going to help the absorption of iron from plants. So if you're eating like seaweed or greens or like black cherries. Right. I, clearly, I mean, you, you feel like a rational evidence-based diet should include meat products. Mm-hmm. I do. So that's, that's really interesting because I, I feel like, uh, and, and quite staunchly, like if someone was going to go vegan, you just wouldn't work with them. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really powerful. I told you I was blunt. Yeah. No, that's great. I I think it's great because this is sort of what I wanted to get out of this was to find people who really could present the other side of this argument that plant-based is not like I never felt like plant-based is a panacea uh, Mm -hmm. or that it's the uh, end all to be all that is is presented in the film. Uh, I might take exception a little bit with some of the things that you've presented in terms of why animal protein or animal products are absolutely necessary, but I certainly respect your opinion, and I, I think it's, it's definitely, um, I think it's the right way to go by just putting it right out there that, you know, if, if, if someone doesn't, if someone wants to be vegan, then you just would prefer not to work with them, and here are some names of people who you can look <laughs> for. I think that's, that's the way to do it. A lot of athletes will struggle with um, recovery. A lot of athletes will struggle with injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that nutrition can play a role in some of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, not all nutrition is good nutrition, of course. And again, not, there's not one way to do everything. So in your mind, if somebody who's having a balanced diet that has some meat products, what's the sort of the rational approach to making sure that, you know, an athlete can stay injury free and can stay, uh, with their program and get the most success that they can with this kind of balanced diet that you're presenting? I feel like, you know, diet is absolutely so important, but we have to look at other lifestyle factors as well, especially when it comes to injury prevention. So are they getting enough sleep? I feel like uh, triathletes are notoriously bad for not getting enough sleep. Also looking at, you know, how well are you recovering? on the same token. So are you actually doing the recovery swims or using your Normatec, you know, whatever that may be. But also, you know, in terms of the food, there's foods that you can eat that are going to be anti-inflammatory that are going to help you recover from your workout. So, uh, you know, like having some type of magnesium or you can have black cherries. All these foods are definitely going to help having like leafy greens. This is going to help you recover from your workouts as well as, you know, there's uh, astaxanthin, which is found in salmon. That also is great for helping with recovery. And when you think about you know, the one of the things that came up in the movie, I don't know if you've talked about this yet with any of your guests, but the comparison of the three ounces of beef with the peanut butter, 
No, I haven't uh, talked about that comparison. Okay, so let's go into this one a little bit. So they say that three ounces of beef has the same amount of protein as peanut butter. The amount of peanut butter that you would need to like equal out like same number of grams is a third of cup of peanut butter. So think about like that amount on a yeah. peanut butter sandwich. You know, it's like well, you're it's really not. Just, not. It's not just the. It's also the type of. It's also the amino acid content, right? There's yep. going to be different amino acids in the beef and protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you know they also make this comparison with peanuts, but peanuts are one of the top allergens. And you know this, and they're actually like not nuts. They are often very high in mold, and whether you feel it or not, they're incredibly hard for us to digest as well. So you're looking at a protein, there's a score, it's the digestible indispensable amino acid score or DS for short. And this looks at how much protein is like the protein profile of each one of these different foods. And then it also looks at how much is absorbed after it has left the small intestine. So you have a food like beef, which is a 1.1, so higher is better on this scale, versus peanut butter, which is 0.46. So it's not even addressing like the actual quantity of peanut butter you would have to eat, but also like the quality right. of the peanut butter as well. Okay. So another one of those kind of like yeah half like half truths or you know yeah things to be dispelled. Mm-hmm. Well, Casey Poe Campbell is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. Uh, she's also the poop whisperer, and uh, as a retired triathlete, we can only hope that she'll return and get back in the pool and start swimming again soon. Casey, <laughs> thank you so much for uh, having this fascinating discussion on uh, the game changers and uh, joining me on the Tri Talk podcast. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. I had a great time. It is time once again for Reels for Wheels, that segment when I am joined by my friend and colleague, Janetta Iwanaki, to discuss movies that we think that you should consider for watching when riding on the trainer. We know it's tough when the nights are long and it's dark and cold outside. You don't want to be riding your bike out there and you have to retreat to the pain cave. Well, if you're not one to watch Zwift, if you're not one to be on the Sufferfest, maybe a movie is what's in store to keep you pushing the pedals and get through the trainer session. Welcome once again, Janetta, to the TriDoc Podcast. Glad to be back. So we've talked about all kinds of movies this season, and I've really enjoyed our conversations. What have you got for us today? So this is a, a recent film that I just absolutely loved watching on the trainer, and I've now probably watched it three or four times because I loved it so much, um, and that is Baby Driver from 2017. Um, Baby Driver uh, is directed by Edgar Wright, um, who some people like me might know from things like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Um, Other people might know him from uh, some of his more action-oriented flicks, um, things like uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um, But actually, I think this is really one of his uh, great films that he's made so far. Uh, Baby Driver is sort of the classic... um, guy is involved uh, with crime and wants to get out and he agrees to do just one last thing before he goes. Um, And in this case, the main character uh, known as Baby um, is just a really badass getaway driver. Um, And he's got a few unique characteristics. So because of an event early in his life, um, he has severe tinnitus. um, And to deal with that and not have to hear that sound all the time, he listens to music. Um, And he syncs up his music just about perfectly 
to his really impressive getaway driving, um, which makes for just such a fun film to watch while you're on the trainer. Wow. So just for people who don't know, tinnitus is ringing in the ears. So yes, by playing by playing music, he's able to drown out the ringing in the ears and then he exactly. syncs up the beat to his music too. And I did notice when I watched the trailer, because you told me you were going to be talking about this, that uh, the uh, soundtrack is very impressive. The soundtrack is fantastic and almost in and of itself is a reason to watch the movie. Um, but the way that the soundtrack is synced up with the action, um, there are times where bullet shot or gunshots and and um, bullets hitting things are perfectly synced up with the beat, and it's just really yeah. Impressive. I noticed they did that in the trailer. I th- yeah. I didn't realize they do that. that, throughout that the film. Oh, okay, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting way to make it play. So yeah, yeah that's I saw cool. somebody describe it as a modern action musical. Um, huh, even though there's really no singing or dancing involved yeah. in it, the way that the music so is so intertwined with the story and so intertwined with the action is really unique. I'm not your lucky charm anymore. But I'm standing here asking for your help. There's nothing I can do for you, kid. Why should I, after what you've done to me? It's okay. Let's go. Oh, God damn it. Look at the two of you. Okay, go get your fucking tape. It's going to take more than a cassette to get you two out of this, because the news is all bad. Well, there is some good news. The good news is you like driving, because you can't take your foot off the gas for the next 25 years. This should be enough to get you across the border. From there, it's on you. Don't trust anyone but each other. And don't ever look back. I was in love once. And another great ensemble cast. Uh, John yeah. Hamm's in this movie. And John uh, Hamm playing Fox. a character very different from what you might expect him to play. Speaking of somebody who is normally very suave and very, uh, I think of him as his Mad Men character. He yeah. plays somebody who is completely off his rocker and moderately terrifying. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Which is very different okay. for him. Yeah. Um, and very funny. But yeah. And Jamie Foxx is also fantastic. As uh, really amps up and like plays everything to 11 um, and uh, does a great job with that. Okay. And I didn't recognize any of the female actors uh, in the film uh, when I looked at the cast. Uh, I'm so sure Lily they, uh, James is probably the uh, biggest one there. She plays Deborah, um, who is... Uh, uh, baby's girlfriend and she's well known for things like um she was in the live action cinderella um okay. but he probably even more so is known for her uh, role on downton abbey ah okay see we keep coming back to actors and actresses that are on tv <laughs> shows and i don't watch tv I so know, there's all the I things know. that i'm missing all right uh and uh i'm imagining this is probably a driving film that would be like and driving i mean like a driving action beat yes. kind of thing that would be appropriate for up-tempo type of absolutely generals. this is definitely not the movie to watch when you're trying to spin out your legs on an easy recovery ride um but anything that involves high intensity it's really great for fair enough uh okay well my choice today is for a movie by a director that i absolutely love um and it's Christopher Nolan. Uh, I just, I, I, his movies are always thought provoking. They always have spectacular visuals, and their stories are often uh, just uh, really um, 
really interesting and intricate. I think uh, specifically of things like Inception or The Prestige. Um, Less of the Batman trilogy, although um, The Dark Knight with uh, the Joker was clearly a very thought-provoking film. Uh, As I've said many times, cartoon movies or comic book movies are not my thing. Uh, But uh, his other work, uh, Memento, all just tremendous stories and great uh, movies. Uh, Well, the one that I have chosen as a trainer ride movie is Dunkirk, which uh, came out uh, just a couple of years ago now and tells the story of uh, really one of the most heroic retreats uh, in history, and that was the evacuation of Allied forces from the beach in France uh, in Dunkirk uh, when the uh, British and French forces were being surrounded by German army and were really facing annihilation. And uh, the um, basically British sailboats and pleasure craft answered the call to try and rush to the beaches of France and try and evacuate as many soldiers as they could and uh, had uh, an incredible, incredibly successful run of getting uh, the army off the beaches pretty much intact. Uh, it's an amazing story. Uh, we've seen... Many movies in the last, I want to say, maybe decade, maybe a little bit more than that, that have begun to give us a better appreciation of the realities of war, as opposed to movies that we saw back in the 50s and 60s, which sort of, you know, glossed over the atrocities and glossed over the horrors of war. Uh, This is another one that really gets you a little too close for comfort and exposes you to uh, the fear and just the terror and the terrible things that people are able to do to each other uh, over Mm. unclear real motivations when you're just a soldier on the ground. Um, But it also tells some incredibly heroic stories. I think of uh, the pilot uh, that's played by Tom Hardy and uh, his role in this film, Mm -hmm. as well as some of the sailors uh, on the different ships and the different pleasure craft that answer the call to go and evacuate soldiers. It's an amazing film uh, visually. Um, it uh, really puts you right in the middle of uh, an incredibly difficult situation for some young people who survived, many who didn't, but uh, just survived uh, you know, an experience that I think most of us can not even find. Disappear when the water comes in. Tide's turning now. How can you tell? The body's come back. Yeah, I, I have to be honest, I haven't seen this film yet, but it's been on my list and I've heard rave reviews about it um, from a lot of different people. So I'll certainly be uh, taking a look at it. With that much sort of intensity in this movie, um, do you feel like it's hard to do something more like intervals and you need something that's more steady state? Or Yeah, it's not, it's not suitable for intervals because you do have to... Like, it's, the story's pretty self-evident. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not like you, you're not like you have to pay that much attention not to dialogue. Huh? It's not. It's not Inception. <laughs> that's for sure. Inception, by the way, is a phenomenal movie. If it you've is. seen it once, <laughs> then the second time you watch it can be on the trainer. Yes. But um, <laughs> not the first time. Exactly, not the first time. <laughs> but uh, Memento, I would argue. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, unless you're writing everything down on your hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, with uh, this movie, I think that you know the dialogue is not as important. Uh, you know, you can definitely 
definitely keep track of what's going on. But but there's no question. I mean, the tension is there all the time, mm-hmm. and you uh, you definitely he does a good job of making you feel you know the emotions, mm-hmm. and so you do, you don't want to be doing anything that's too high level. I definitely think that it's the kind of thing that it's this is one that I would do, or I think I did it when I, when I was on there, and it was one of those longer rides like uh, that I was just uh, doing like uh, not even steady state. I think it was more of a interval, not intervals, but um, intermediate sort of yeah. uh, power yeah. outputs and it was just I had to do this long ride and it was sort of maybe Ironman Watts or something like that and, yeah. uh, and this was like a really great way to pass time because the movie's so engrossing that the time just flies by yeah absolutely yeah definitely have to check it out yeah and we talk you know we often think of retreat as being a negative word and mm-hmm. and this is one of the retreats in history there are several but this this one is one that is uh is is often forgotten, but but when it's talked about, it is talked about as one of the most heroic retreats in history, and and I'm I'm glad it was memorialized in this way. It has been done before as a movie in 1958, but but this one takes it uh, to a whole different level, and of course Christopher Nolan just uh, does it a, a great service. So yeah, I mean certainly he's a phenomenal director, yeah. um, and I can only imagine what he brings to something like this. Yeah, highly recommended. All right, so uh, two more films for you to watch. They will both be listed on the Reels for Wheels archive which can be found at both the TriDoc podcast website as well as the TriDoc coaching website. The links for both of those will be in the show notes as always. So uh, thank you once again, once again, Janetta, for joining me uh, for Reels for Wheels on the TriDoc podcast. And we will look forward to talking once again and give more movie recommendations for trainer rides on the next episode. Thanks for having me and uh, happy riding. And that's it for another episode of the TriDoc Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I also hope that you'll consider leaving a rating and a review wherever you find the program, as that can really help get the word out. Links, as always, to the medical references, as well as to everything else discussed on the show, can be found in the show notes at www.tridocpodcast.podbean.com. This coming Wednesday, January the 22nd, me and my friend and colleague Bill Luddington from Big Dog Coaching will be hosting a free event at the Berkeley Park Running Store called So You Want to Do a Triathlon. If you know somebody who's thinking about doing a triathlon or if you yourself are interested in learning more about the sport, I urge you to check it out. You can find the details on Eventbrite where you can sign up and you could also find a link to the event on the show notes as well as on my Facebook page. I hope that you'll consider coming along. It should be a fun evening. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is Radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at www.reverbnation.com where I hope that you'll visit and give small, independent bands a chance. On the next episode of the TriDoc Podcast, I'll continue my series into some of the issues raised by the Netflix documentary The Game Changers. For the fifth episode in the series, I'll speak with professional Ironman athlete Chris Lieferman Chris is an example of an athlete who we didn't really get to hear from in the film. Someone who eats animal-based products in his diet and feels like he's no worse off for it, and maybe even healthier. He'll be here to share his thoughts on the film and how he manages to be as successful as he's been while, perish the thought, eating meat. I'll also have a medical question to answer and another episode of Reels for Wheels. Until then, train hard, train healthy.